Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 19. Be reading verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, reading verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, now we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as we study Scripture. Uh, help us to learn what it is that the Spirit of God has for us today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, if you grew up in Sunday school like I did, then you know the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, maybe you're even familiar with a song uh, that tells the story of a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. I'm tempted to sing it for you, but I promised my wife that I would restrain myself. Uh, so the story, this really begins right where we left off last week. Jesus is passing through the city of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, he's headed there knowing that he's going to be arrested and ultimately crucified. And Jericho is the last stop on that journey to Jerusalem. We're told in verse 1 of our text that he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And so here we're introduced to the man Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector uh, Jericho was one of the main taxing locations set up in Israel, and Zacchaeus was in charge of the whole operation. As we've said before, tax collectors were hated men. Uh, they were viewed as traitors to their nation because they were collecting taxes <coughs> from their fellow Jews and giving the money to the occupying Roman government. Uh, the taxes that they gathered paid the salaries of the very soldiers who were imprisoning them in their own land. And so someone like Zacchaeus... Uh, would purchase a, a tax franchise from the Romans and then tax the Jews of their, uh, of their wealth. And this was somebody that would be considered a scum to the rest of the Jews, a traitor to his country. And not only were the tax collectors hated because they worked for the Romans, but they were also hated because they essentially robbed their neighbors. Uh, the tax collectors would make people pay more than the Roman government required, and then they would pocket the difference. And the Romans really didn't care as long as they got their cut, and so they allowed this sort of corruption to take place. It was a completely a broken, corrupt system. The tax collectors would get rich at the expense <clears throat> of their fellow countrymen. And they had the Roman soldiers uh, scattered all throughout the land enforcing these rules, so the common people had no say-so whatsoever. And so it's understandable uh, why people would hate a man like Zacchaeus. He was growing richer and richer all the time at their expense as they're struggling to work and put food on the table. And as the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, he's not somebody like uh, Matthew who sat at the, the tax booth and took people's money. Rather, Zacchaeus would be at the very top of the system. He managed the whole operation 
in Jericho and became inc incredibly wealthy as a result. Uh, he's sort of like the godfather of Jericho, uh, rich, powerful, corrupt, and hated. This was the last person that you would expect to become a Christian. Uh, yet we're told in verse 3 that he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see Jesus. He had some level of interest in this rabbi from Nazareth that no doubt he had heard uh, many stories about. And so when he hears that Jesus is coming through Jericho, he wants to see him. But he had a problem. He was short. <laughs> it says on account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus because he was small in stature. He was a little guy. And so as Jesus was making his way into town, there'd be a big crowd of people all around him. Zacchaeus couldn't see through them. And because he was so short, he couldn't see over them. And so verse 4 says, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Uh, sycamore trees were basically a combination of a mulberry tree and a fig tree. Uh, they had large limbs and leaves like a mulberry tree. And at this time of year, right before Passover, this would be the end of the rainy season. And so the trees would be at full bloom with figs growing on them. Uh, Zacchaeus very easily could have climbed up on that first limb probably and just hid himself among the branches. So he couldn't see out, but he could kind of see in between and, and see Jesus walking his way. Uh, obviously, a rich, powerful man like Zacchaeus climbing up a tree would be very embarrassing if anybody saw him up there. Uh, but the crowd was all focused on Jesus, so he probably thought that he could get away with this unnoticed. But verse 5 says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I imagine at this point, Zacchaeus must have nearly fallen out of the tree. Uh, he's thinking that he could just kind of hide up there, and, and, and Jesus totally calls him out in front of everybody. And notice that Jesus, first of all, calls him by name. Uh, the two did not know each other. They had never met. Uh, as we're told earlier, Zacchaeus was looking to see who Jesus was. He did not know this man. And yet Jesus knew who he was, and he calls him by name. And then Jesus tells him that he must stay at his house today. Verse 6 says, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus gladly welcomed Jesus into his home. Uh, but this did not earn Jesus any popularity points with the crowd, of course. They hated Zacchaeus. Uh, he was the worst of the worst, uh, perhaps that most hated man in all of Jericho. And yet he's the one that Jesus chose to stay with while he was in town. Verse 7 says, when they saw it, when they saw Jesus walking with Zacchaeus headed to his house, they all grumbled. And they said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The Jews thought that Jesus shouldn't associate with people like Zacchaeus. He was a traitor. He was a thief. He was a sinner. Yet this is exactly the type of person that Jesus spent time with. He spent time with those that the rest of the people rejected. He talked to them. He ate meals with them. And this wasn't the first time Jesus was criticized for his association with sinners. Uh, back in chapter 15 of Luke, we're told tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. These were the very kinds of people you were not supposed to hang out with. Uh, there's no doubt many religious and moral people in Jericho, and yet Jesus chose to spend time with Zacchaeus. And verse 7 is sort of the close of scene 1 of the story. Uh, some time passes, and then later on in verse 8 we pick up uh, the rest of this account. Here Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house, as we'll see later in verse 9 he mentions and we're told that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What a transformation. This tax collector, who by his own admission had ripped people off and grown rich at their expense, now is saying he's going to give away half of all that he possesses. And in addition to that, he's going to go through and repay all of the people that he stole from 400%. Jesus says to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, this was clear evidence of Zacchaeus' conversion to Christ. I don't know exactly what made Zacchaeus, uh, caused him to make this choice. Perhaps it was something that was said in the course of the time that he spent with Jesus, but Luke doesn't include any of that. He doesn't tell us about the conversation that they had or what Jesus may have said while he was there. The only thing that we're told is back in verse 6, Jesus had said that he was going to stay at Zacchaeus' house, and he received him joyfully. He had been hated and rejected by everyone else. But Jesus was willing to associate with him. And I have to wonder if it was just the very fact that Jesus was willing to spend time with an outcast like him, if that love of Christ is what drew him to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus went from being known as the worst sinner in town to being forgiven of all his sins and totally transformed in his life. The one who was known for stealing from others and getting rich at their expense was now giving away his wealth. He's quite a contrast from the last chapter, if you remember the rich young ruler who had an interest in following Jesus but was unwilling to part ways with his wealth. Zacchaeus gladly embraced Jesus as Lord and he begins a life in service to him. Now we can't be totally certain of this, but there is an early record dating back to the second century that says Zacchaeus later became the pastor of the church in Caesarea. And if that's true, that's quite a story. Uh, that's on the level of the Apostle Paul. Traitor turned pastor. Thief becomes a philanthropist. Uh, either way that we see this, our text clearly shows a man with a changed heart. And this kind of transformation is exactly what Jesus came to do. The last verse of our text, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus didn't go stay at the home of the religious leaders in Jericho. He sought out Zacchaeus, because that's just the sort of person that Jesus came for. Jesus did not come to the self-righteous religious crowd to make them feel better about themselves. He came to the lost, the broken, those who knew that they were sinners. Jesus spent time with them. The religious crowd, as we've already seen, criticized Jesus for hanging out with people like Zacchaeus. Back in Mark chapter 2, we're told that the scribes and of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus hung out with sinners because that's who he came for. Now, in reality, of course, we all know that we're all sinners. Uh, but some of us realize it while others of us are blind to our own sinfulness. And so Jesus primarily hung out with the social outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, because they didn't have the pride in the blindness of the religious people. They knew that they were messed up and that they needed salvation. This is why Jesus spent much of his time with them instead of wasting time with the, the Pharisees who didn't recognize their need for a savior. Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew 21, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. 
But afterward he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would he say that the prostitutes, the tax collectors, are going to get into the kingdom and not the religious people? Well, it's certainly not because of their prostitution and tax collecting. It's because people like that have no confusion about themselves. They know that they're sinners in need of forgiveness. They see themselves as sinners, and because of that, they welcome the news that Jesus came to save sinners. And so as we look forward this week to celebrating the birth of Jesus, remember why he came. He didn't merely come to give us some wise teaching. He didn't merely come as a moral example. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to die for our sins and to give us forgiveness and new life in him. And a person like Zacchaeus illustrates that point perfectly. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew says in chapter 20, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came for the purpose of dying on the cross, and he calls us to repentance. It's not just forgiveness of our sins that he offers, but also freedom to live a new life of following him. Jesus said in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And notice those last words. See, some people today, we love the message that Jesus offers forgiveness to undeserving sinners. We got that part down, but then we want to remain in our sin. There are people today who hear that Jesus died for them and offers to forgive their sins, and they think, man, this is great. Uh, God delights in forgiving my sin, and I delight in sinning. Uh, but that's not the kind of salvation that Jesus offers. He comes to us as we're drowning in our sin, and he doesn't just throw us a life jacket and leave us there, so we'll survive, but we're not actually going to get out. No, Jesus throws us a rope and pulls us out. It's not to say that we're instantly dry. We still have some indwelling sin that remains after salvation, but there is a transformation that takes place in the life of anyone who is truly converted to Christ. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so there's two ways that religious people often misunderstand the gospel. The first is to think that Christianity is for good people, uh, to hang out and celebrate their goodness, as if our works merit our salvation. That's the first way people get off. And Jesus, of course, obliterates that thought. He came to the worst of the worst and offered them a full pardon of their sins. He came to seek and to save the lost. But then there's a second way that some people today misunderstand the gospel, and that is we think Jesus offers sinful people forgiveness without transformation, as if we can just take the eternal life part and continue in sin and take advantage of God's grace. But Paul completely obliterates that notion in Romans 6 where he writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer 
be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to offer them forgiveness and new life, to set them free from the chains of of sin. And perhaps no one in the Gospel of Luke better exemplifies this type of transformation than Zacchaeus. I think that's perhaps why Jesus gives this reason for his coming right after Zacchaeus' conversion, because it so perfectly demonstrated exactly what he was here to do. He sees this man go from a thief and a corrupt man to a willing servant of Jesus. And he says, this is what I came for. This right here, I came to seek and to save the lost, to save people just like this man. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of the Savior. He offers salvation to anyone willing to turn from sin and embrace Jesus as Lord. And if you make that choice like Zacchaeus did, doesn't matter what your past is, he promises to forgive your sin and transform your life. If you think you're too far gone for Jesus to save you, listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then notice verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Idolaters, immoral people, thieves like Zacchaeus, all are welcome to come to Christ. All will be washed and transformed the moment they do. Jesus comes to the lowest of sinners and offers hope. And this is why we celebrate Christmas, because without the Savior coming and dying for us, we would have no hope. Towards the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus says, for God did not send his, world, uh, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Father sent Jesus into the world 2,000 years ago in order that the world would be saved through him. And that happens one person at a time. People like Zacchaeus, people like Bartimaeus from last week, people like you, people like me, one by one, coming to Christ for salvation. This is what he came to do to seek and to save the lost until the whole world hears the gospel of salvation in Christ. And that brings us to our part in that mission. Uh, That's that's the beginning of John's gospel. Look at the end, chapter 20, verse 21. Right before Jesus leaves earth, he tells his followers, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent the Son into the world to seek and to save the lost. And now Jesus left and sent us to carry on that work. We go to all the world spreading these tidings of comfort and joy that Jesus Christ offers salvation to sinners.